2: So our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities.
1: We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening.
3: Hello, welcome back, my friends. Here we are. We're recording on a Wednesday. Wow. We haven't done that in a while. How are you guys?
2: Very out of the ordinary for us. Insane. Yeah. We're here. We're doing it. Hey, Josh. You're doing good. This episode is coming out a day after your birthday. So I just want to say happy birthday. Happy. Thanks, you guys. Birthday. What
1: are you, the big 2 8? Yep. The big 2 8. Fart. 2 8. Earlier, a couple months ago, I could not remember how old I was turning. And for a hot second, I was like, wait, am I turning 29? It was like one of those, like, (laughs) like, COVID. Memory things. Oh, yeah. like cool. when it that Wait, I is this 20, still twenty twenty? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love that. I love this. What are you guys drinking? I am enjoying my favorite beer on this, the Green Planet. It is Mountain Man Scotch Ale by Jeremiah Johnson oh, wow, Brewing. So am I. No way. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what? I guess happy birthday extra because. Happy birthday to us. This is my favorite beer, man. It's it's so good. I'm not going to lie. It's not as great canned as it is like
1: fresh off the tap, but it's still really good in yeah, the can.
2: See, the, the move here for me is I keep a couple pint glasses in my freezer. So I oh, poured smart. I poured my beer into a frosty pint glass for tonight. Oh, Ooh. it's so
1: good. Delightful. I am also drinking a strawberry banana smoothie because um I haven't eaten yet, and I know that this will go to my head if I don't. Well, because
4: mm-hmm.
1: it's so good. I drink it really quick. Yeah.
2: I could mention I am drinking water, but we know that doesn't count. Yes, um,
3: it does.
2: Listen, even Jesus didn't think it counted. That's why he turned it into wine. Amen.
3: That's not why, but okay.
2: Amen, brother. <laughs> Emily, what are you drinking? That's fine. (laughs) Whatever.
3: I am drinking uh, my go to body armor, light strawberry lemonade. But I'm also drinking, so Alex is on this huge new diet where he's like no sugar, like high in protein, like minimal carbs. It's a very interesting diet. Well, so he found Dwayne The Rock Johnson's energy drink, Zoa. And I was like, hmm.
2: Okay. Those flavors
3: sound really interesting. So I'm giving one a try. Oh, my goodness. They are Mm. so
2: good. So delicious. Yes. Okay. So good. Dwayne the Rock Zoas, huh? All right. Yeah. All right. Very
3: good. It has like five flavors, very low in caffeine, which is good for me since I'm breastfeeding. And uh, it comes as a zero sugar option. And also it's like only 100 calories.
1: You know, that is surprising, an energy drink that's low in caffeine. You don't find those very often. Yeah, right? You
3: don't. I know, and that's why I was a little skeptical, but it's mm,
2: great. I'm that's... still skeptical, but good for you. Hey, <laughs> listen, some people know how to actually play the placebo effect to its benefit, right? It's fine.
1: They do. Christianity being one of them.
2: Ooh, um, what do we have? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. Speaking of some weird energies of Christianity, this yeah. week we have the bonus episode coming out to the patrons. <laughs> hmm Look for it this Friday. We'll have a teaser up. And we went for like two hours talking about this church, this old church, this weird vibes pastor, Mark Driscoll, and responded to the podcast that was then made about it uh, called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. So we made our bonus episode. It is endearingly titled The Rise and Fall of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Podcast Podcast and coming to the patrons this week. And next month, we're going to do a live hangout where we talk about that podcast Our bonus episode with our Mm -hmm. patrons, and that becomes a new bonus episode where patrons get to feature their own voice and their own thoughts.
0: How
3: neat. Very hype. Speaking of our patrons, today's topic actually comes from one of our patrons. So we're starting a new trend where once a month we get to ask our patrons What do you guys want to hear? What do you guys, you know, what are you interested in? And today's topic actually comes from our good friend, Courtney. Yes. And if I remember correctly, she's going to be asking us about suffering. And I think Steven might actually have a little bit of a recording for us to hear.
2: Yeah. Shall I play her voice now? Oh, I should also mention Courtney Clark has also been featured on No Normal People last season. So you should go listen to it. Great episode. After listening to this episode of Ravel. Link in the show notes, as they say, because Courtney is fascinating and a really cool person. So, all right, here's our message from Courtney.
0: Hi, my name is Courtney Clark. I'm a Patreon supporter, and I just really love having this community. We are all really supportive of one another. Everyone has some really good insight, and we bring a lot of different perspectives, and it makes for great conversation. It's been so fun to be a part of, and I look forward to the show every week, but um, I think the thing I enjoy the most is just getting to have the discussions outside of the show and talk to one another, just kind of brainstorm ideas, talk about how the show impacted us, things like that, Um, and I just really love it. It's been great. So my question is about suffering. So growing up, I was taught that suffering was somehow something we brought on ourselves, be a punishment or kind of natural consequences for choices that we made. And I kind of bought pretty wholeheartedly into that um, until I started to struggle a little. Um, so 2020 and 2021 were hard, for, I mean for everyone, but for our family Uh, My husband and I both had COVID in early 2020, kind of back before they knew anything about it, and my husband recovered, but I did not, and I stayed sick a lot, and then 2021 was a mixture of doctor's appointments and surgeries and procedures and blood work and lots of things, just kind of trying to figure out what's wrong with me, if it can be treated or fixed. Um. And I just kind of suffered a lot. I struggled to stay awake most days. Um, I struggled to function in any capacity. I struggled with a lot of pain, uh, brain fog. And it just kind of made me question, does suffering have a cause? Is it something that God inflicts on us? Is it something that God allows us to go through so that we learn something? Or is it maybe none of that? And it's just a part of life that maybe God doesn't have his hands all over, like I was led to believe growing up. Is it more gray, kind of like everything else, rather than that black and white cause and effect?
3: Wow.
1: Yeah. I mean, what a classic question, honestly. I mean, I think there's a reason why it's called the problem of suffering. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because like <laughs> I think it really poses like a very big theological quandary. Like it, like it's very philosophical but like it's so everyday. Like I think Courtney's case is such a great example of like suffering is everywhere and it comes in so many shapes and forms and it's often so personal but also so widespread. Mm-hmm.
3: I think what I also appreciate about her question is it brings to light God's role in this idea, um, and it kind mm. of puts God in a corner in the sense of if God did allow suffering, why, what's the point? And if God did allow suffering, you know, isn't God supposed to be a loving God, why would God allow this? But, on the other side, if God didn't allow suffering, then why isn't God intervening? You know, what are ways that we maybe don't see God present in our suffering, and so it's one of those where it's like ultimately God loses, <laughs> you know it's interesting,
2: yeah, God's the loser is either way mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. scenario were either of you raised with that kind of classical idea of like either God is allowing it or God is inflicting it because of Personal sin, unconfessed sin.
1: I don't I don't really remember talking about suffering very much growing up in church, honestly.
2: Mm. Like at all?
1: No, I, I don't recall. I mean, maybe it was like here and there, but I don't remember ever being given like a very specific theology of suffering. And if it was specific, it was kind of along the lines of like natural consequences and mm. God didn't do that. But it wasn't like very specific. I don't really know how to describe it.
3: I'm kind of in a similar boat with you, Josh, except we, at least me specifically, grew up with the idea of trying to focus on not seeing God as a puppet master. So trying to reorient the question from being, does God allow, um, and trying to frame it in a different way. Um, And I'm still wrestling with that personally. So I'm really glad that we're discussing this topic. Hmm. What about you, Stephen?
2: Yeah. I mean, like anytime this topic comes up, like I can't get the book of Job out of my head. Mm -hmm. I think I was raised kind of with that same concept that Courtney described where it's like, well, you must have done something, you know, like it, it must be, there must be a cause. And that is probably you or in the context of Job, like I, I remember doing all sorts of like youth group studies on Job. And it was, the book of Job is weird because we have like this, uh, this weird third party view where we get all the scenes in like the heavenly courtroom, right? Where Satan gets to be like, can I mess with this guy? Or, or God suggests Job to the devil to be like, yeah, go mess with him. And then we spend all the time in the arguments and we all know that Job's friends are wrong, right? And there's different mm-hmm. reasons why they're wrong. But at the same time, it's like, I've never felt satisfied with that whole parable of Job just because I guess it just leaves that like flavor of God in my mouth where it's just like, yeah, I guess he just allows it because he wanted to, or, or it's a test Mm. or something. And, and I'm skeptical of that. I'm very skeptical of that too. Like, I think
1: it's very, I think it's very interesting how the concepts and theology around suffering often causes a lot of theological tension Mm. either like kind of what we were describing Emily. Like I think that we got a lot of like rhetoric that was counter to like Calvinism predestination, like God didn't cause this kind of situation, even though like wasn't explicitly like we don't believe in Calvinism. It was definitely against like those concepts. But, and then like, I think that like happens a lot within Christianity. Like I think people like, Will theologically pigeonhole themselves against a certain view. And, like, I think to your point, Stephen, like, that's like what we see depicted in the book of Job, where like they're disagreeing about like where the suffering came from or like who's causing it.
2: Yeah, right.
1: But then I also think it's interesting, and I'm not really sure. I guess I kind of get why this happens. I think that it also sometimes becomes the catalyst for people to fully walk away or like disbelieve in Christianity Mm. when Christianity itself doesn't seem to offer a good answer to it but maybe that's why i don't know like uh, th- like i don't think that christianity has like a single defined view of suffering right uh, the other thing you made me think of Stephen, is i don't know if i've ever encountered this idea out there that the book of job might be a form of early parody like i've heard i've heard it suggested huh. that or like i've heard different scholars suggest that uh like the book of Jonah could be considered parody because like several things happen in that book that like were very counter uh, to like the normal narratives. And so at the very least, it seems to be a play on the
2: normal prophet. Yeah, and maybe tropes of like exaggeration too. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And so I don't think I've ever heard anybody suggest that the book of Job is a parody, but I could almost see it that way, particularly because like a bunch of people are like like it seems to be making fun of Job's friends who are trying to make sense of the suffering. And the God character doesn't ever give Job an explanation for Job's suffering.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. He just shows up in a tornado and he's like, "What are you? Why are you asking?"
1: <laughs> right. And I don't think I I I don't think it's a good scholar, scholarly view personally to suggest that the book of Job actually happened. That the devil actually went to God and God gave the devil permission to torture a human. Like, I I don't think that that's what the text is saying at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, like, those...
2: But doesn't it at least suggest that the writers of the story thought that might be the case? Even if it didn't, like, historically happen, or literally, or whatever? Like, it seems to suggest something about, like, a cosmological view of reality such that like supernatural beings have board meetings and figure out what to do next.
1: Yeah, like the 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 divine council kind of thing. Right. I almost think it's like even though it's obviously making uh like it's using the the imagery of the divine council, I don't think we have to necessarily think that the the writers of it believed that that was happening.
3: Well, and keep in mind there were other Religions and other beliefs occurring alongside this time. And so, like other gods, their involvement with humanity was very much like a puppet master and very much the humans need to devote themselves to us in all these ways. And, you know, they benefit from all the gifts that we give them, whether it be rain, whether it be a good harvest, whatever the case may be. And it is a very manipulative relationship. And so, I think kind of seeing the world around them and using those kinds of elements, it would kind of make sense that that would be included in writings, even for Mm. the Jewish faith.
1: I think at the very least, it is communicating and like acknowledging the fact that suffering seems to be out of our control, which Mm -hmm. is a very universal human experience. And I think that, oh yeah, this is very Western, but I think part of the point of the narrative is to suggest that even if this was the case, God wouldn't necessarily tell us it was the case.
3: Mm Mm -hmm. like I think it's a I
1: think Ah. it's like a like to your point about it being a parable I think in some ways it's like a thought experiment about suffering like suppose this happened and
2: yeah and maybe Mm -hmm. it's a thought experiment more about God's relationship to our suffering than our relationship to our suffering why Mm -hmm. couldn't
3: it be both
2: well yeah certainly it could be both but like yeah Josh I get you just had me thinking about like yeah it's a thought experiment and maybe we just The conclusion we want to come to is, like, eh, God's ways are God's ways, and we will never understand. So,
1: okay, I kind of want to talk about Courtney's point about, like, the natural consequences, because I think that's, like, also what she's asking about, like, the black and whiteness that she was Mm -hmm. brought up with. Sure. I think that the natural consequences thing is so difficult because, like, obviously there are consequences for actions, especially for bad ones, but also you can be really evil and be really successful too. So, mm-hmm. it doesn't always mm. come out exactly, but then like we also see in the Jesus story we see Jesus trying to combat like the nature of suffering always tied to being caused by actions. Mm. Like I'm specifically thinking about the the blind man and then like the common belief at the time that like your parents' sin could affect uh your offspring negatively mm-hmm. and he seems to like be very opposed to that idea but obviously like there are consequences too like i was like as i was listening to your question i was thinking about like in psychology there is like a lot of discourse around the idea of punishment and negative reinforcement like that's often like a third party trying to reinforce or not reinforce or punish certain behaviors to like affect change but like just because there are consequences for actions and just because you do believe in some higher being, I don't think that that means we have to assume that that third party being Mm
2: -hmm. is
1: giving us those rewards or not rewards or punishing us. Yeah, like I don't think that we should assume that God is classically conditioning us just because there are consequences for things. You know what I'm saying?
3: Mm. Yeah. I think we almost approach suffering as too much of a I don't want to say like a science experiment, but I guess I say science experiment in the way of there has to be like a result and it's very Mm. linear, very precise, you know, like we, we feel like that's the way we should approach it. Um, You know, so for example, like they both got COVID and he healed, but she didn't. So there must be a reason. Well, there probably is, but there's probably so many variables that we, we just cannot fully understand. And it, It is a complicated situation. And I think it's especially difficult when we compare people's sufferings, you know.
2: Mm. Wow. Yeah. This
3: person smoked for 30 years. They didn't get cancer. You know, I've started smoking, but I get cancer. It's again, there are so many things happening. Uh How can we possibly like pinpoint? Oh, yep. This was the exact reason why you are now suffering in this particular way. Mm. We're all different. We all have different backgrounds, we all have different upbringings, we all have different situations that we are everyday living in, there's no way we could possibly pinpoint exactly down to the core, this was the exact moment that this happened, and therefore, this is the exact result of that situation.
2: I'm thinking of the phrase, like, you know, people respond to like a horrible event, you know, like a school shooting or something like that, and we use the phrase, senseless violence
0: Mm.
2: and like i think with suffering i mean like even if that's the case example it's like sure natural consequences but now someone else seemingly and pretty evidently at random is suffering the consequences of someone else's mental illness and someone else's uh, you know like someone else's hang up or someone else's rage Mm. like I think it's very human to want to ascribe meaning to suffering because otherwise, like I see why people kind of get driven into like a sense of nihilism or a sense of like what's even the point What's even the point of trying to be healthy or good or anything if suffering will just happen and I can't do anything about it?
1: Do you think that it makes more tension when there are some Christian ideologies out there that believe that you should suffer for something, whether it's mm. like martyrdom or like the idea that like your obedience or your like following of a teaching should like be so much of a sacrifice that it should hurt. Mm. I'm just like thinking about like, like different Christian thoughts on suffering that are out there that I've encountered before. Like, I almost wonder if that causes more tension regarding suffering. Uh, like, I don't know. Like the secular world doesn't seem to have a huge moral quandary with suffering. Granted, like if you come from a perspective that you don't think God exists, that takes out a little bit of an element, but there's like I don't feel like a lot of people are I don't know, maybe they are and I just haven't encountered them. Like <laughs> like I wonder like I don't even know how you would like study that. How would you study that? How would you determine whether or not religion actually makes people have more mental suffering regarding suffering or not.
3: Oh boy.
2: Yeah. Like just because we talk about it.
1: Yeah. Or because we have more like philosophical framework surrounding it. And then that like makes it more complicated.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Versus like the, the non-religious view where you just have suffering and it is, and it's just meaningless. (laughs) I Mm. don't know which
2: one provides more comfort. (laughs) Well, that's a good point. So like, Few episodes ago, we did an episode on comfort, and it feel. I mean, like it feels like we're doing the opposite, right? It's like mm-hmm. we're we're doing the other side of that coin.
3: Do you think there's a point to suffering?
2: That's kind of what I'm wondering. I think it's e- I think it's easy to want there to be a point or want mm-hmm. there to be meaning for it, and it's also I get hung up on mm-hmm. that. You
1: go ahead, but I, I have a thought after you. Well,
2: yeah, it's just it's hard because like when you want to think in terms of meaning. At a certain point, it's like, I clearly don't want the suffering. And if it means something, does that mean that something or someone, like a supreme being, wants the suffering for me? So that, again, it, like it just right. feels like you're back to square one of like,
4: mm-hmm.
2: A, does it have meaning? But B, like, there must be a cause then. And if the cause is a being who wants you to be like tested in the tr- trial by fire or whatever then that kind of imputes a like a moral judgment on the supreme being who's enacting the suffering
4: mm-hmm.
2: upon you, especially if you think that supreme being is also the one that created you that. Oh yeah. I mean, right. so like,
1: which is what I'm kind of getting at with like the theological tension. Like how would you determine? Yeah.
2: Cause like I've, I've heard theologies try to square that in terms of parenting, like, yeah a child being spanked oh yeah I hate that experiences suffering right because a slap on the butt feels bad and they don't like it and I would argue more than that the emotional damage of being physically hit by a parent is doing a lot more than just being hit um, Mm -hmm. which is why I won't be spanking my kids when I have kids Um, but like I mean we call him God the father right (laughs) Like, it's so natural to start thinking of it in terms of, like, oh, well, this must be, like, a le- you know, those classic learning lessons when you're a teenager or something.
3: Being theologically spanked by God.
2: Theologically spanked by Jesus, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what,
1: what, what is, what, what, like, okay, if you actually believe that, what would you say is the proverbial theological spanking? Like, I mean, would, would he, it be like any suffering
2: or would you go straight like, to like martyrdom or persecution? Like,
1: oh, well, mm. I think that's what confuses me about the, the worldview that believes that God does cause everything or mm-hmm. can cause suffering. Which, And I think those are different. But like, like, are you then to conclude that any suffering is a result of your wrongdoing?
2: Huh. Right. Yeah. Or
1: can it mix with like that senseless suffering? Emily, I like your question about like is there a point because like I think that I get really hung up on that because um not only does it like assume that there is a, like a singular cause but like kind of like with your point Stephen like I think that I don't I don't think I get hung up on that question in the same way that uh some Christians do because like I think there's a difference in it determined by whether or not you believe that the meaning of it is External or internal? Like, I fundamentally believe Mm -hmm. that, like, we make our own meaning existentially and socially. Yeah. And if the question is to, is there a point in your suffering? Like, I think that the answer is very different depending on whether you believe that, like, something causing something to happen to you is what gives you meaning or Mm. you determining the meaning you're going to get out of something that's happening to you oh oh like i think that there can be a point in suffering like i've i've been through situations that i haven't liked
3: oh definitely
1: and like coming out the other side i think i think that i've loved myself and <laughs> life so much better when i like choose how to handle a situation and like find the meaning in it or like find the learning or
2: mm, yeah and that like, mindset coming yeah. from within to say like maybe there wasn't meaning to it but i'll i mean like we're meaning making machines. So, like, yeah. I'll find a way to make this fit in with how I assume the world works.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I
2: like that, Josh. Interesting. Because I'm, I'm also thinking of it in terms of, like, an interpretation game, because I'm stuck on the metaphor of parenting, especially for, like, God to us. If that's the way it is, then we're stuck with an interpretation game, which is something I think Job, the whole story is appropriately pointing out. It's like, You don't have all the, like, you don't have the full picture. So don't start imputing meaning where, you know, you would assume different motives or something. I mean, like, Mm. the whole time God could be saying throughout the book of Job, like, I didn't do it. The devil did. I allowed him to do it, but that's not the, whatever. (laughs) Um, But also, like, I I think in terms of parenting, like, I, I think back to when I was a teenager and, like, the phrase from my parents being, like, you don't have all the information we are we are simply trying to steer you in the way we think you should go based on like our extra 3 decades of life that we have on you like we've seen more and our experience is informing the way we raise you because like you know we experience bad th- i mean it's like it's like that mm-hmm. classic like pendulum effect of like you're parented one way so then you choose to parent an opposite way because you didn't like it or something like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just like clearly there, there is a game of interpretation happening where us, the sufferers don't have the full picture. And if God is like parent father relationship, then couldn't God just be saying like, you don't have the full picture. I'm trying to help. I'm doing my best. Or it's like, God, why am I experiencing suffering? But really what it is is like, a surgery like a surgery is painful but it's toward a better end of like removing a tumor and it's mm. suffering in the moment but like I, you know the, what i
1: mean if i remember correctly that's a very augustinian idea oh it totally it is. is right yeah yes okay, it is. okay. cool job, i did get it right
2: <laughs> and it's it's very like i mean like i so i grew up reading tim keller books like it's a very tim keller kind of like moderate reformed take Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just kind of puzzling on it. I don't know if does I does have... God
1: not have the anesthesia of mercy though, like, like Whoa. sure God Whoa. might need to perform surgery. I but love like... that
2: phrase.
1: <laughs> Thank you. The it's the it's the mountain man coming out finally.
2: <laughs> we just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology.
3: If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between.
1: And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency.
3: For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us and we'd love to get to know you.
2: Thank you to everyone who's already supporting and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color.
1: Ravel is a founding podcast of the Highline Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows,
2: No Normal People. Hello friends, this is Steven and Dixie Lee with No Normal People. We are hard at work on Season 3 of the podcast that will be coming out April of 2022. And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you.
4: Do you like rocks or beans or planes?
2: Yeah, I like beans.
4: We, people like those things. <laughs> and you might also like those things. And we would love to talk about it with you. If
2: you like those things or have other or passions other and things, interests that you want to talk about. It and doesn't you,
4: have to exclusively be those things.
2: We would love to feature you on <laughs> No Normal People. And you can sign up to be on the show by emailing us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com. That's K-N-O-W, People Pod, Or sign up on our show page at www.highline.network.
0: And
4: bonus points if you actually do want to talk about beans.
2: I love beans. I
4: like coffee beans.
2: That's a good bean. Josh, Emily, you know how some Christians have an opinion that communion can only be wine and unleavened bread? It's bull crap! It is. And let me tell you what I prefer. On a nice Sunday, quiet morning, I will sip a delightful hot cup of Highline coffee with my buttered toast. And I think that is communion in and of itself. Amen, Amen brother.
3: Amen. You are preaching.
2: What's the better name
1: for our metaphorical coffee shop that we're putting into our podcast church? Is it Holy Grounds or is it Hebrews or is it the Sprolly Spirit?
3: <laughs> well, whichever we choose, just as God pours his Holy Spirit into us, so we pour ourselves a nice mug of coffee. If you want to join us in doing this as well, be sure to order coffee now. We sell it. You can order it at Highline.network forward slash shop.
1: Um, Emily, I want to hear from you because you were going to say something, and then I would like to go on a rant about conditioning.
3: Oh, yes. Well, so what I was just going to say was, you know, Josh, you were saying we might make our own meaning of suffering. I wonder how much or how little are we a part of our own suffering?
2: Huh. What do you mean?
3: Like, do we play a role in our suffering, like whether or not we suffer?
2: Uh. Okay, so is that back to natural consequences or is that back to interpretation of it?
3: That, that's what I, that's, I don't know. Because,
2: like, I experiencing running a 5K as uh, utter <laughs> suffering, but, like, other people get a runner's high yeah. out of it, you know? <laughs> like, is it just mindset? Is that what you're trying I, to say? Yeah, I, mean?
3: I probably.
2: No, but, like, self-sabotage is totally a real
1: thing. Like, I do think that, like, right. natural consequences are real. But also, I was like thinking about this when Stephen was talking too, that we, I think we should always be careful to not fall into the logical fallacy of just because A happened before B, that does not mean that A caused B. It can get real choppy to like tie together like what exactly caused this. Yes, exactly. Correlation is not causation. But I do think that like suffering can be self-imposed, but I think it can also be self-imposed and other contributing factors.
2: Yeah, I mean like just like Emily was saying, like there's so many factors that go into someone recovering from COVID immediately and someone having long haul symptoms for a year.
1: Like there's a reason yeah. why like a very good go-to response for people who are very visibly suffering is to say it's not your fault. Oh. Like that applies to grief, but that also applies to like accidents. Like but things happen outside of your control.
2: Yeah. And the reason that's such a stock answer is because, like, we just naturally assume it is yes. our fault. Right? hmm And that's, oh, that is a, that makes me mad. That makes me mad that we're all raised to think that, like, any pain or opposite of pleasure we experience is our fault somehow.
1: Which is funny because I feel like as children, we <laughs> don't have that
2: assumption often. Oh, interesting. Like, Where do you think it comes? Like,
1: with spanking, like, I don't think when I was spanked as a kid, I was totally spanked as a kid. I, yeah, me too. I don't remember thinking, God, this is my fault. I'm the one who caused the spanking. Like, I think maybe later I thought that, but, like, at the time, yeah. I, like, hated my parent. Yeah. You know? Right. But maybe that's because it was, like, so obviously... Okay, can I go on my rant about classical conditioning? Because this is a great segue.
2: Go off, king.
1: Um, I feel like Emily is probably pretty privy to this because you had some psych classes in undergrad, but Steven, are you familiar with like the limitations of classical conditioning? Uh, like rewards, punishments, which one's better,
2: blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with concepts of like positive, negative reinforcement, reward, punishment.
1: Would you be able to explain the difference between negative reinforcement and punishment? Because those are often confused. No.
2: Okay. I know they're different and I've heard... Them talk about it on, uh, no stupid questions. Yeah, they they've talked about it recently.
1: Okay, so here's a really good rundown. Think of positive reinforcement as a reward. You do something, I give you something. You did a trick, I give you a treat. Positive reinforcement. Yes. Negative reinforcement. Think of it
2: withholding. Yeah, it's not.
1: Yeah, think of it as yeah, it's not punishing, but think of it as like I'm not gonna give you a reward.
2: Like, had you been successful, you would have gotten the reward. You weren't successful, so you don't get it. But it's yes. not like I'm going to, like, kick you yes. or whatever.
1: Or another great example in, like, the psych treatment world is withdrawal symptoms.
2: Oh.
1: Like, that's a form of negative reinforcement. It's not, it's not punishment by strict definition, but, like, part of the consequence of your actions by not Yeah. over-binging in alcohol is the withdrawal symptoms that come after it.
2: Right, you don't do the drug, so you don't get the high. Yes.
1: And then punishment is almost Active. always like an external force like you do an action, I give you a negative consequence.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um I'm so
1: like I'm tracking. Uh it's very well very well documented that the best form, the best way to get someone to change their behavior is positive reinforcement every time. Like you do something good, I give you something you're always going to like keep doing it versus like, like I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, Emily, you might, but like it's all like positive reinforcement beats it out every time. Negative reinforcement is sometimes effective. It like, it really depends on like how it's being used and the frequency, but it, it's almost never as effective as positive reinforcement. And then punishment like always comes in last. Like punishment is like, like in terms of changing (laughs) behavior tangibly, Like it might stop something in the moment, but like in terms of like long term behavior change, it can sometimes like have the reverse effect where like, oh, like it like like a great example is like uh, I got caught looking at porn as a teenager. I just became better at hiding it.
2: That was literally the example I was about to say. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Oh,
1: or purity culture is like another great example in Christianity. I think um, where you're like socially punishing people. So I think like when it comes to suffering, my personal opinion is like, if you're going to believe that God has a cause and effect in our suffering, like you, you kind of have to have the view that like either God doesn't care about our behavior change or God is a terrible scientist because God would know that positive reinforcement always wins. Mm. And I feel like that's (laughs) like, like, I think like me knowing more about. Like psychology and reinforcement and punishment is, like, what helped me reshape my theology about, like, well, I don't think this makes sense anymore, that God would have a cause in this.
2: Wow.
1: And I personally think it's tenable to believe in a God that has ultimate being. I'm not going to say ultimate control, because <laughs> I think that's a very big leap. But, like, I think that, like, you can <laughs> believe in creator and, and just because, like, God exists and God has action and is the ultimate being and comes before you doesn't mean he doesn't mean Mm. God controls everything. Like, I I think that like, that's just like such a big assumption that's made about like ultimate being. But I don't like the ramifications of that, like suffering included is just like so complicated and like should certainly be thought about. Careful, Josh,
2: you're becoming a process theologian. Yeah, maybe (laughs) I am. I don't know if I am. I think you are. (laughs) Sounds good to me. I'm on board. Say more about that. What do you think about, like, what you've
1: learned about process theology applies to something like suffering?
2: Yeah, well, so, like, I think I gave a decent case for it on actually our last Patreon-suggested episode from Danelle. Like, it's process theology, it's open relational theology, and it's fundamentally that in God's self-constraining action to create a reality in which we may experience true free will and the dignity of that free will that God self-constrains and can't do certain things by his own imposed limitations in order to do the most honor to that dignity of free will.
1: I still don't understand how process theology is different from just regular old Baptists. (laughs) Wait, (laughs) Who believe in free will? I don't know. Maybe there's something I'm missing.
2: But. Oh, like an Armenian thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, okay. But careful with Baptists because I was raised basically Baptist. And oh, we that's were true. More Calvinist than mm. Arminian. you're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. So that I'm, I guess like I'm. You're right. I'm thinking
1: of like the the stereotype of like the free will Baptist.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's fine. But I think I think the difference being. Process theology and open and relational theology would go as so far to say God literally can't do certain things in our reality based on God's own limitation of God's self. Whereas an Arminian would say, God can do whatever he wants. He is simply choosing not to. Mm. Mm. Which honestly, most of the time just gives me an image of like, yeah, Zeus could throw a thunderbolt at me but he's choosing not to and i think in this open and relational way that the the future is truly open to what we as humanity collectively uh create with god and and like that doesn't mean we don't have a plan for the future i mean like clearly we have plans for the future i have plans to make podcasting a career and have a family of Adopted children and all that. Like I don't know that. For that's I know my the plans future. I have for me, says Steve. Thank you. Ah. <laughs> plans to prosper me and give me a future. <laughs> Absolute. Why do I you read this. it in
3: that tone, Joel? I like that you I misquote
2: <laughs> I like that you misquote it too. That's very nice. Yeah, I made it about you. <laughs> Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. It's all about it's cause me. Because I'm baby. Jeremiah
1: Johnson, baby. That's where this is coming from. Oh, nice. Okay. The Bible's all about okay. me. Okay.
2: Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So like I can have plans for the future. I don't know that that is the future that's going to have in the same way. I think God has the same, like, I think God has the same relationship to the future. Like we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, like being here on earth. And mm. that's, that's like a future reality. I think that God, that is God's plan for the world, but that requires our engagement and it requires our collaboration in the ongoing creation of that kingdom of heaven on the earth.
3: You know, I th- I think of yeah. uh, Julian of Norwich, you know, she would say, yes, Christ, you know, didn't promise a life free from suffering, but instead it was through grace. You know, we find strength so that we can persevere amid, you know, throughout life's adversities. And she would say that the ultimate way to combat suffering is through love hmm. and that prayer is crucial. In times of distress or suffering, yeah, um, and it's a way for us to align ourselves with God and seeing ultimately how love can can be the remedy.
2: I guess that's interesting. I guess the way that just landed on me is that suffering sometimes can feel both random and passive. Oh yeah, yeah. And like I and I think of Courtney like. The experience of having COVID, like no one maliciously gave her COVID with which she would suffer for over a year with long haul symptoms. So, like, it was a passive thing. It's a virus that spreads. But love doesn't ever strike me with a passive feel. Like, love is such an active thing. I don't know. That just strikes me as very interesting that the opposite of suffering or the way to combat suffering would be love. It's like, here's the way things are. In a passive way, and here's the way we'll change it in an active way:
1: You've got me thinking about, I think that suffering often stands out when we think that there is an ideal or like an ideal state of being or an ideal situation, and like when it doesn't go the way that we thought it was going to go, I think it feels like suffering. Mm. But like, I, I really liked your point, Emily about like, like the Bible and Jesus and the Christian narrative do, like does not promise a life free from suffering and pain. And I almost think that like, like having that in your back pocket, or even the the Buddhist concept of life is suffering, like, like for like life could not exist without suffering, like, like evolution is suffering, and I almost think that like admitting that like takes some of the steam out of it. Like I don't think that Christians who believe that God causes suffering, I don't think that they believe that like like life should be ideal and without suffering. But I think that like theologically, it's often superimposed against like the perfection or the ideal of heaven or heaven on earth or like what life would be without sin. Like it's, I feel when Christians try to talk about suffering, it's often talked about in like, it shouldn't be this way. Like it's this way because of the fall or because of sin or like, Uh, of course there's meaning making, but it's like, I think people are often like striving towards an ideal. And I almost feel like that like hurts even more
2: Oh, yeah, especially, I mean, like, the idealized versions of heaven that we all get in our head of, like...
3: Ah, yes, the pearly white gates.
2: There there will be no suffering, and it'll just be, like, constant party. But, I mean, like, that's the great... That's a fantastic point at the end of The Good Place. Spoiler alert, but also it's been a couple of years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like... Like they, they finally make it to the good place and they find that even the good place is jacked up because like constant pleasure isn't everything. And, and like, maybe it is the contrast that actually gives us some sense of like purposefulness or meaning. And like, I, okay. So two complete, like almost literal bookends of the Bible. I think of the phrase in Genesis where Eve is told that the pain of childbirth will be increased not that childbirth would be painful but that the pain would be increased i also think of at the very end of revelation where it says every tear will be like wiped away and i interpret that to mean like there are still tears you will just be comforted and not like you will never cry again you know i've never heard someone bring that up
1: Mm mm-hmm
2: so, like, both ends of the Bible suggest something about, like, pre-the fall, like, Eve would have experienced pain in childbirth, um, but she would have maybe experienced that pain in light of, you know, I mean, like, as, as most women do, it's like, that pain is in the light of the, the joy of, like, procreation, the joy of, like, having offspring and more people to love. In the world, I mean, like biologically, we talk about how, uh, like, women more or less forget the pain of childbirth by the time they're ready to have a second baby. Is because is that mm -hmm. true?
1: I mean, I guess people like want to have children again, but I've heard, yeah. Emily, have you already forgotten what it was like to have Thea? Maybe that's an ideal.
3: No, and I never will. Like I have a I have a permanent reminder on my body, you know. I That was one of the things I was oh, thinking yeah. about the other day. Um I have multiple reminders actually. Like, you know, I have a giant scar from having a C-section. I have stretch marks and you know, like my whole body is just entirely different. Um and it was it was suffering in a way that I have never experienced before, but do I want to go through it again? Uh, yes, because of what the product is,
2: <laughs> you know? yeah, Right. And I guess that's, that's what I'm trying to say is like, even, you know, as made up as, or mythological, some of those like biological facts might be like, your brain is so flooded with like good feeling hormones. When you meet your baby for the first time outside the womb, it's like, I have literally forgotten like maybe you don't of course you don't like and you have reminders you have scars you have signposts for like the trial you've been through but yeah I just I, like that ideal I'm, I'm just not convinced that the ideal of the Garden of Eden before and the ideal of the Kingdom of Heaven after doesn't involve pain of any sort or suffering of any sort it's just that things f- I don't know do they feel different maybe they don't feel different maybe we're in I don't know.
3: One of the things I think of is uh, from Harry Potter where Ron is um, in his divinations class and he's looking at the cup of the tea leaves and he's like, that looks like a wonky cross and a sun. So you're going to suffer, but you're going to be happy about it. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, can we be happy in the midst of suffering?
1: I think that's the other
3: thing, too, is do we have to experience suffering in a way that is just like. There's no hope, there's no happiness, there's no joy. Or can there be room for happiness in the midst of suffering?
2: Uh, Yeah. So, like, to go back to Josh's drop of Buddhism on the whole concept, like, you know, the Buddhists talk about life is suffering. And, you know, from what I've learned about Buddhism, like, part of the remedy is to recognize that that is just how it is. And then it's our work to, release our attachment to the suffering of some sort. And in the rudimentary ways I understand how Buddhists talk about enlightenment, that is kind of it. It's like, yes, life is suffering, and yet I'm like the most joyful person like like I hear I've heard stories of people talk about like Ramdas before he died. Or I mean like Desmond Tutu or all all these like not Han. All these guys are dying recently, have you noticed? That's weird. Yeah, uh-huh. But we talk about these guys and especially when I hear interviews of them like, on on Being with Krista Tippett, like they're always called out as the people who laugh the most and make silly, ridiculous jokes all the time, and like find the lightness amidst all the insanely important work they're doing, like liberating Africa from or South Africa from apartheid, like insanely important work, and they, they have their moments of very poignant depth where they can, like speak directly to the suffering of humanity. And then they're like goofing off with each other, like at conventions, you know. I, I like I, I love the way that giants like that in other faiths, in particular, are able to just like hold those and not even feel a tension between the two. Like, yeah, there's suffering, and yeah, there's jokes and happiness and joy. Emily, I would be I like that take, Stephen. That's a that's good.
1: Um, Emily, I'd really love to hear your thoughts on what you think the theological implications are of Jesus suffering.
3: Ooh. That's huge. I think what better way to be in relationship with the divine with God than for God to experience something that humans experience? And so for Jesus, it wasn't enough just, you know, it wasn't enough for Jesus to just live amongst us, you know, and to to work and to eat um and to enjoy life. Because if there was no suffering for Jesus, then I don't think God would, you know, I don't think Jesus would be able to understand the gravity and the complicatedness that life really is, you know. At least that's what I like to think. When I want a relationship with God, I want to know that God is present and I think for God to be present, that means that I want God to know what suffering is. <laughs> like, I want God to know what love is, what joy is, what, mm. you know, anger is, Um, because it's something I experience. And experience goes hand in hand with relationship. Yeah. and uh, Maybe I don't, maybe there is no answer. Or if there is, you know, maybe we're not ready for it yet. I don't know.
2: Okay, Book of Job. Thank you.
3: You're welcome. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did you have a thought on that, Josh?
1: I don't know. But, like, I was thinking about your point about process theology and, like, credit where credit is due, process theologians. Like, the story of Jesus shows us the God who suffers. Like, I think yeah. that there's a lot of emphasis on, like, the theologies about, like, Jesus being perfect and sinless, which, like, I think you have a choice to believe that if you want to. But, like, I don't think. Like I think that if you're going to talk about that, you should also be talking about the fact that Jesus suffered, mm. because I think that that, like, yeah, I think Emily's right. I think that that really paints a, a really unique perspective on, on Jesus as a divine character. Like don't it, it almost it almost doesn't make sense to me why you would believe Jesus is sinless and suffered. I don't think those mm. are like usually theologically the same thing, but like. Like in some, in a lot of ways, I think people think of sin as a type of suffering or a thing that causes us suffering. And like, if you believe, like, it just doesn't seem like it holds up well to me that like you would believe that Jesus is sinless and that Jesus suffered and that God causes, causes suffering because of our actions
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: or to teach us something like, I don't know, I, I just, those, those arguments just like don't work around for me.
2: Well, yeah, especially because the equation doesn't hold up with Jesus if he is sinless and if he does suffer a horrific death. Is yeah. Like,
1: like I, think, I feel like the implication <laughs> of all of those together is Jesus's death was pointless. Wow. Or like Jesus's suffering worked differently for some reason.
2: I don't know. Or Jesus was able to take pointless suffering and death and make meaning out of it. And that's resurrection. Sure. Boom.
1: I will admit, I do think it's like the Christian perspective of. Jesus's resurrection that like has helped shape my current view on suffering that like I think that there can be life after. Oh. Like I think that like just cuz there's suffering and it seems like the end of the world there has to be something on the other side like there always is.
2: That's good.
1: And even though I don't think I'm hoping for heaven in the same way that I used to, I think that I still like fundamentally believe in like meaning making throughout suffering and until you get to mm-hmm. the, the other side. Hmm. I was reminded of this just now that so I've mentioned that on the pod before but this book that I've read it's called who lives who dies who decides it's by Sheldon Eklund Olson and it's a really great book it's all about the Supreme Court cases about um, abortion and neonatal care assisted uh, end of life death and capital punishment and it like ties them all together and the sociologist opens up the book in a really interesting way. Um he talks about how like as a sociologist and in anthropology like they are confounded with this problem that as you study cultures around the world, like obviously we are all humans, but it gets really really hard to draw generalizations across like between cultures and certainly around the world. But what does seem to be really clear throughout the study of culture is that All humans seem to believe that suffering, when it occurs, should be alleviated, Mm. which is, I think, interesting and also theologically interesting. Like, I think I've encountered some Christians that don't believe that, but also do believe that. Like, the Bible seems to be making a case that we should be alleviating other suffering, like the widow and the orphan and the fallen and... Like, et cetera. Like, like, save the lost sheep. Like So there's like an emphasis there. And I think mm-hmm. that some Christians often believe that they are exceptional in believing that. When like, Stephen, you brought up a good point. This is what reminded me of it, about like people like Thich Nhat Hanh and Ram Dass and uh, the Dalai Lama and like other like pillars of faith and authors and theologians throughout different faiths who obviously care about and work towards alleviating suffering around the world, regardless of other people's beliefs. So like Christians are certainly not exceptional in believing that, (laughs) but also I don't think all Christians believe that. I think that like, if you assume God causes suffering, you should not try to alleviate. like you should not in good faith want to relieve other suffering. I think that that's the implication. Why would you go against God? Hmm. That's huge. hmm And that's why I don't think I can believe that, <laughs> like,
2: logically. <laughs> yeah. And there, you, I think, and there you have it. I think that tracks. That's a, that's a sound take because at least what they have is consistency, right? Well, I won't. Yeah,
1: like, at the very least, be consistent with your beliefs.
2: <laughs> I, don't work, I don't work against the, the workings of God, and I guess if God wants the suffering or causes the suffering, then who am I to try to make it better? Fascinating. I hadn't thought of it that way. Don't let it keep you up at night. Oh, it won't. Any last thoughts? Well, I was just going to say, Emily, thanks for inviting uh, her reminder of how awesome (laughs) childbirth is to the party Oh, yes.
3: Oh, yes. Oh, speaking of, Thea has some thoughts on suffering, huh? (laughs) Clearly. Don't you? When you don't get your way, you just suffer.
2: Well... Now, hold on, though. That's a good point, though. <laughs> That's some theology. Maybe. When we don't get our way, we experience this stuff. I mean, we're back to the interpretation I, game.
3: I'd like to think so, yeah.
2: Yeah, right. Good point, Thea. Thanks, It's okay, Forth. though,
3: because Thea's being rescued now by her loving father.
2: That's right. Loving, oh, see? Right there, love. Shout out to Alex on the cool new diet absolute king (laughs) well i just want
1: to say uh thank you courtney Uh, this was a this was a very thought provoking Mm -hmm. question and it's like obviously a mind bender and it obviously like is not going to leave us or humanity alone
2: wow yeah Mm -hmm. courtney said that she has been thinking about this for a while in our discord she she said Mm -hmm. that and then uh she said she kind of managed to answer her own question by preaching a sermon on it recently so i Ooh. think i'm going to put a link to that sermon in the show notes as well oh, yes please because i think we should hear some of courtney's thoughts in addition so
3: <gasps> oh
1: yeah oh, yeah. i guess we didn't <laughs> mention that courtney's a
2: pastor yes this is true
3: fellow pastor yes representing
2: amazing I so you need it. to go listen to courtney's sermon on suffering and you need to go listen to her no normal people after this rabble. so You have your homework class. We'll see you (laughs) later. Well, and patrons, we'll see you in two days with the drop of our Mars Hill podcast, all with the the spicy takes. I think like two hours Mm -hmm. of audio we collected on that. What a blast. Way too much, but
1: also not as much as the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill did.
2: That's true. Especially those last two episodes, which I have thoughts on in the bonus episode. So if you would like to hear those takes, jump in on the bonus feed and join us for our live event in Discord next month. Where we just like round table some more discussion and more thoughts on Mars Hill because I'm sure the three of us have blind spots and I'm sure the three of us miss some stuff that Tyler would want to mention, Chad, Courtney. Yeah, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month over at patreoncom Ravelpod and follow us mm. on Instagram and Twitter at Ravelpod. Josh is at Josh Llewellyn on Twitter. I'm Stephen G. Henning on Twitter. Emily is Rev Reddinghouse on Instagram. It's very good. Should
1: we get a Snapchat?
2: Just kidding. Oh gosh. Just kidding. <laughs> well, we do have a TikTok. So go find that too. Go seek that out. But that's enough of me rambling. Um
1: Emily, will you end our
2: suffering? So good.
3: I sure will try. Um, I actually was thinking of like when Julian of Norwich was speaking of prayer, um, and utilizing that to align. Herself um, with God and to see how love is the ultimate remedy. I was thinking of prayer. Um, and so I think I'm actually going to read a prayer if that's okay with y'all.
2: Sure. By your way, I'm into it.
3: Okay. You probably know this prayer, so we'll see. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as he did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. Amen.
4: And welcome to no Normal People.
2: This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life.
4: You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't do marketable that. marketable
2: names and yeah, an audience. Buzzwords,
4: and, buzz and, buzz yeah, buzzwords, buzz names. Social followings. Yeah. And, John yeah. Buzz. And, well, we interview people like your Uncle Terry, who collects model trains. Because he's normal.
2: We'll even interview you, even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at knowpeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show.
4: And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well.
3: Highline Media Network artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.